please have your Bible open there at Ruth chapter 2. It's on page 267 if you're using the Bible that's there in the pew. Let me pray. Lord, we've just been singing that we need you. Uh, We need you in every way and for everything. And Lord, just now we need you to speak to us in your word. And Lord, we need you to help us to hear you. Because often our eyes are blind, our ears are closed, our hearts are hard. So Lord, we need you to speak to us. Please come and do it. Amen. Many of us here this morning are keen to live for Jesus Christ. We want to become his faithful followers, but we struggle. We have our reasons, each one of us, different reasons. Some of us, many of us, struggle to believe that God is interested in us and at work in our lives. Some of us just feel too ordinary. We look around a gathering like this in the church. We see people who impress us more than we impress ourselves. The Christian subculture, it creates its celebrities and holds them up before us. We look at them and we say, well, that's not me. We're not like those people. God isn't at work in us. Some of us just feel too broken. Our lives are broken and our hearts are broken. We have long since given up any hope that we could thrive. The best we're hoping for is just to survive, just for one more day. We're broken, so God's not at work in us. We thought about this a little bit last week as we got to know the character Naomi, the chief character in this short biblical book of Ruth. Seeing her broken life somehow gave us permission to to notice our own brokenness, to pay attention to it. And as we started to read her story, although there weren't yet many signs of her circumstances improving, we did see glimpses of God at work in the brokenness, God working in the kindness of others and in other surprising ways. We're too ordinary, we're too broken. Some of us feel that we're beyond the reach of God's grace because we're outsiders. We've grown up outside of Ireland or outside of the middle class or outside of the cool gang or the smart set or outside of the church or whatever. We look around and it seems to us that God only works with insiders, the people who are close to the center of things. God's not at work in the likes of us. This morning as we come to chapter 2 of this short book, we're going to see God working for an outsider. And we'll see that as we get to know a little bit more of Ruth. Remember what we know about Ruth so far. Not that much, actually. She comes into Naomi's story by marrying one of Naomi's sons, probably Killian, the younger one. But remember, Naomi's family were living in Moab 
at the time when Ruth married into it. Killian has met and married not, not a good Jewish girl, but verse 4 of chapter 1, an outsider, a Moabite. What do you know about Moabites? Probably not a whole lot. Am, am I right? Yeah. Although Moab was a very close neighbor of Israel, probably 30 or 40 miles from Bethlehem at most, in terms of culture and religion, it couldn't have been further removed. Moab was a land of of multi-gods, lots of gods. The most feared god of whom was Chemosh or Moloch. In Moabite culture, great fires were lit, kindled under a statue of Chemosh. His lap was in the form of a, a cradle so that little children could be presented there onto the red hot surface and tumble down an inclined plane into his fiery belly. Moab was a pagan land of cruel gods requiring child sacrifice. Ruth was a Moabite. With that background in place, we're probably better able to understand the the dynamics that are at play when Naomi brings Ruth back with her to Bethlehem. Jewish people were fundamentally committed to their own ethnic purity. Marrying a foreigner was not the done thing and in most circumstances is expressly against the will of God. Although we see signs early in the story that Ruth has been getting to know the God of Israel and of Naomi, we should be clear about this. When Ruth arrived in Bethlehem, a Moabite woman moving into a Jewish village, she was the consummate outsider. Look again at the the text. She's named as a Moabite a number of times. She's called a foreigner. It's, It's inescapable. Ruth is an outsider. Let me ask you to put yourself in her shoes for a moment. Uh, We have friends worshipping with us these days in our church who might understand what it feels like for Ruth better than for, for many of us. As Ruth comes, first of all, to Bethlehem, she may be wondering, am I welcome here? Will I be safe? Will I be able to find what I need to survive? Or will people stand outside Naomi's house with placards telling me that I am not welcome? Chapter 1 tells us how Ruth, the outsider, arrived in Bethlehem. Chapter 2 tells us what happens to her in that village. First, notice quickly that God continues to be working for Naomi in the kindness of Ruth. We talked about this last week, God working for Naomi in the kindness of Ruth. Do you remember how Ruth pledged her loyalty to Naomi? That beautiful passage, verses 16 to 17 of chapter 1. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I'll die. And where you're buried, I'll be buried. 
Ruth had promised on the road to Bethlehem, she'd promised that she would stay with Naomi. And Naomi recognized this as the kindness of God to her. Broken as she is, bitter as she's become, she knows that she's experiencing the kindness of God through the kindness of her daughter-in-law. Here in in chapter 2, we see that Ruth's kindness to Naomi continues. She was able to make a promise about how life would be in Bethlehem on her way to Bethlehem. It's another thing to to follow through on your promise when when you land as a foreigner in the village. But she does. Look at verse 2. She not only keeps her promise to stay with Naomi, she takes responsibility for her mother-in-law. Let me go to the fields and pick up some leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. That's what you did in that culture. If you had no land of your own, if you were poor, you went behind the, the harvesters and you picked up leftover grain. That's how the poor survived. Hard work, humiliating work. What, what's the modern equivalent? Is it selling the big issue at a traffic light? And Ruth's not afraid to do it. God is still working for Naomi in the kindness of Ruth. Chapter 2 falls naturally into two scenes. Most of the chapter taken up down to verse 17 with the first scene tells the story of Ruth's first day at work. We read that she ended up working in the field of a guy called Boaz. He seems like a good guy. You just get good vibes from this guy as you read about him. Look at how he interacts with his workers, verse 4. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. I'm sure that's how you go into work tomorrow morning, isn't it? You haven't seen the boss for a couple of days. The Lord bless you. And, you know, of course... Boaz likes his workers, and his workers like him. He's a good guy. And it's a mark of Boaz's character that in the middle of a busy harvesting scene, he sees the new person. He asks his foreman, who who, who is she? And he tells her, verses 6 to 7, she's a foreigner. She's come from Moab with Naomi. She's asked for work in the field, and she's worked hard here all day. And this is a big moment now. Boaz realizes that he has a Moabite working in his field. What's this Bethlehem small-town farmer going to do with this vulnerable outsider? And it's beautiful. It's beautiful how Boaz deals. He deals with each of Naomi's inarticulate concerns. To to Ruth's question, am I welcome here? He says, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. To the question, am I safe? He says, I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. Do you you sense the vulnerability of a a young foreign woman? 
a vulnerability that's still present in our culture today? Do you have any sense of how much Boaz's protection means to Ruth? Ever since she's come to Bethlehem, Ruth's been wondering, will I find what I need to survive? Boaz says, whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Towards the end of the scene, verse 14, we read of a mealtime where Boaz invited her to join him. She ate all she wanted and she had some left over. Wow. Ruth The Moabite, the vulnerable outsider, comes among the people of God and finds herself welcome, safe, satisfied. God is not only working for Naomi in the kindness of Ruth, he's working now for Ruth in the kindness of Boaz. I want to slow down for a moment here. Because I keep saying that God is at work in the book of Ruth, but, but actually, is it not just people doing normal stuff? I say God's working for Naomi, that he's working for Ruth. Last week in chapter 1, Naomi recognized God's hesed, his loving kindness in Ruth's kindness to her. What about Boaz? Why should we interpret his actions as God's kindness? It's a good question, but it has a simple and profound answer. We can see the hand of God in the working of Boaz because he's behaving exactly as God wants his people to behave in this moment. He's not going off paste. He's not writing his own script. He's actually doing exactly what he's supposed to do. You see, he's a man of Israel. He's a member of the family of God. He's received the law that God handed down to his people through Moses. You might remember this from a few months back in our studies in Deuteronomy. The law which said, take care of widows. Take care of the poor. Take care of foreigners who come among you. Look again at what Boaz did. We've already talked here about how he's welcomed this foreigner, he's offered her food, provided uh, water, but notice his very particular behaviors. Verse 15, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her, even pull some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and do not rebuke her. That might seem a little bit strange until we realize that he's doing exactly what the law requires. Flick with me, Deuteronomy chapter 24, it's page 202 in your pew Bible. Chapter 24, verse 19. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheath, don't go back to get it. Leave it for who? The foreigner, the father, 
fatherless, the widow. When you beat the olives in your trees, don't go back over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, don't go back over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Do you see why Boaz's actions here are so very beautiful? It's because they're conceived in the very heart of God. It's because he's doing the stuff that God wants him to do. The kindness he's showing is the very kindness of God. A few moments ago, I asked you to put yourself in Ruth's shoes as she arrived in Bethlehem. Am I welcome? Am I safe? Will I be provided for? Could you do that again now? Put yourself in Ruth's shoes that first day at work as these events are unfolding, as she's being treated in this way by Boaz. What's she thinking at the end of her first day at work? Instead of small town, small mindedness, she's found a big hearted welcome. Instead of misogyny and toxic masculinity, she's found a man with a beautiful character. Instead of middle-class indifference, she's found help in her poverty. Instead of a life of lonely isolation, she's finding herself welcomed into the family and placed at the table. Did you notice that, by the way, the familial language here in chapter 2? Whenever Naomi sends Ruth out to work, verse 2, she says, Go ahead, my daughter. When Boaz speaks to her for the first time, he says, My daughter, listen to me. Wow. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't Bethlehem a beautiful place? It reminds me of what God promised his people in Deuteronomy, if you flick back a few pages more to page four, page one, or sorry, chapter four and page 182. In that chapter, Moses told the people, he said, listen, if you choose to live out your God-given calling, the world will see the quality of the life that you share. They'll see a wonderful community and they'll be amazed by it. Look at verse eight, Deuteronomy four, verse eight. Moses tells the people of a time when their neighbors are asking, what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as the body of laws I'm setting before you today? I can just imagine Ruth saying that these guys are incredible. I've I've grown up in Moab, but I've never seen the like of this. This welcome I've received, this generosity I've been shown, where else could I find this? Life in Israel. <laughs> it's so good. I, I love, I love this. I'd love a bit of this for myself. Maybe I could join them. Maybe I could be one of the people of God. I set it on the road to Bethlehem before I knew what I was talking about, but now I've seen it. I really do want Naomi's people to be my people, Naomi's God to be my God.
By the way, we've been learning here in this short book of Ruth about how the kindness of God and the kindness, the kindness of God is expressed in the kindness of his people. If you're looking for a simple, everyday way to express the kindness of God, you might consider getting involved with us in, in Open Table. Uh, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but I'll, I'll mention it a couple more times. We want to start a movement which gives every member of our church family the opportunity, young or old, single or not, the chance to, to gather together in each other's homes for meals. It's great that so many people have already signed up to be a part of that. A couple more comments about that. It's for single people. It's for couples. It's even for families. We're hoping that people are going to be mad enough to invite families to come and join them at their dinner table. And it's not about entertaining, not, a, not about impressing people with your wonderful house or your fabulous cuisine. It's about hospitality. It's about saying you're welcome. It's about soup and sandwiches. If you're interested in learning more about Open Table, have a look on the website. Um, there's a page there, so hrpc.org forward slash open table. Uh, we'll keep talking about that and inviting you in the days ahead. We're coming near the end of our reflections here on Ruth chapter 2. So far we've seen God continuing to work for Naomi in the kindness of Ruth. We've seen that God is working for Ruth in the kindness of Boaz. Let's spend just a few more moments noticing how God is working in this story for in beautiful and surprising ways for everyone. In this chapter of two scenes, we've spent most of our time in scene one, so let's step in quickly into the, the second scene beginning at verse 17. It's set in Naomi's home. Naomi's gleaned all day. She's threshed what she's gleaned. She's come home with a bag of grain. We think it's somewhere between 13 and 20 kilograms. So that's, that's the small bag of coal at the, the filling station. That's a lot of grain. This foreigner's done all right. People have been good to her. And there's a, a lovely wee bit in the story where the narrator gives us an idea of the poverty of these two women. He tells us, verse 18, that despite bringing home such a huge haul of barley, Ruth hasn't forgotten to bring home the leftovers from lunch in a doggy bag. Naomi looks at the grain and the food and she's astounded. This is, this is mad. This is too good to be true. Where did you get all this? Who on earth has been so kind to us? Who is it? Tell me. There's some beautiful writing in this book. I need to flag it up occasionally. The narrator does a lovely thing here. Naomi's so keen to know who, who, who. And the narrator keeps us waiting for as long as he possibly can. Even in the English text, we have to read 25 words before we come to the one word that would have sufficed. Boaz. His name's Boaz. Why does the narrator tell the story this way? He, he wants us to enjoy the big reveal. Until this moment, neither Ruth nor Naomi see anything here other than the ordinary kindness of ordinary people. But now that Naomi learns that it's Boaz, a close relative, 
She is able to tell Ruth that God's at work. God's orchestrating all of this. This is God's extraordinary kindness. The faithful covenant God is orchestrating events here for, for everyone's good. Look at Naomi's response, verse 20. She's over the moon. The Lord bless him. He's not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. By the way, the, the NIV totally misses the point here in the translation. It, it, it sort of implies that Naomi is saying Boaz hasn't stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. But that, that's not the case. If you look at this verse in pretty much any other translation, it would say something like this. May he, that is Boaz, be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. It's the Lord who hasn't withdrawn his kindness. The same God who last week was showing kindness to the broken Naomi, has now shown kindness also to the outsider, Ruth. You might remember last week that I told you about a lovely wee Hebrew word, hema, that's used in the last verse of chapter 1. It means that the closing verse, the closing sentence of that chapter should probably be translated something like this. They arrived at Bethlehem, and what do you know? It was the barley harvest. They arrived at just the right time. The narrator left us wondering. Naomi left Bethlehem to escape a famine, and she's returning just in time for a harvest. Is that a coincidence? Or is God at work, after all, bringing the right people into the right place at just the right time? In chapter 2, these wee moments just keep coming. Look at verse 3. We're told that Ruth went out, entered a field, and began to gleaten behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was also from the clan of Elimelech. It feels to me like the Casablanca moment. Do you remember it? When Isla Lund walks into Rick's cafe in the city of Casablanca, and the heartbroken Rick drops his immortal line of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, and she walks into mine. That's what the narrator wants us to be thinking of here. Of all the fields and all the farms all around the countryside here, Ruth could have ended up in any single field but this day, this first day, she walks into mine, Boaz's field, this distant relative, this man of God. It almost looks like luck, but the narrator's training us to see that there's no such thing as luck. Something else is at work. And just for a moment, he pulls aside the veil and the storyteller hints that God is behind all of this. There's more. Look at verse 4. Just then Boaz arrived. There's that wee Hebrew word again. Hema in chapter 1 becomes Hene in chapter 2. Look out, says the narrator. Don't miss this. At precisely the moment when Ruth just happens to walk into Boaz's field, at precisely that moment, guess who arrives? The man himself. More luck. Except this isn't luck or fate, 
This is God orchestrating the smallest events of our most ordinary days for the healing of the broken and for the welcoming of the outsider. We began this morning by saying that there are some of us who feel that we're beyond the reach of God's grace. That we are outsiders. We imagine that God only works with the insiders. God's not at work in the likes of us. What we learn in God's word and in the gospel of Jesus Christ is that there are no outsiders to his love. I believe that Ren Collective, the, the group based locally here, are better theologians than many people give them credit for. There's a beautiful theology articulated in one of their songs. Don't worry, I'm not going to play it today. Make you sit through it. But if you're interested, go and look it up online. The song's called No Outsiders. I'll leave you with a verse and chorus. I think it's Ruth's song. And my prayer is that it would be your song too. You're our refuge. We have no borders. When I was a stranger knocking at your door, you took me in. With no questions and no conditions. When I was a sinner running from your grace, you called me friend. You called me friend. There are no outsiders to your love. We're all welcome. There's grace enough. When I have wondered, Lord, your cross was the open door. There are no outsiders. I'm not an outsider to your love. Let us pray.